Welcome into the Sun Devils Source Report podcast. I'm Sammy Miller and I'm joined by Chris Cartman. Chris, how are you doing this morning? Sammy, we're still here. We made it. Uh, we survived this signing day, the Sun Devils Source media blitz, the basketball game. That we're up, but this is a Friday morning. We're recording this, the podcast. Everybody was hitting me up. Hey, when are you going to have a podcast? Chris, you got to have a podcast. Is there going to be an emergency podcast? Hey, look, uh, we worked around the clock like the last two days. So yes, now we are getting to the podcast everybody wants to hear. Oh, I know. Everyone's dying to hear what you have to say. So let's get right into it. So February 1st marked National Signing Day. And boy, did ASU head coach Kenny Dillingham and his staff deliver when they said they were going to work tirelessly to reconstruct the roster with high school prospects, junior college and division one transfers. And the program welcomed a record breaking 43 additions, which is currently tied with Colorado for the most of any division one program. But before we get into all of the different position groups, let's talk about the huge news that really spread across the nation, which is that ASU landed an elite quarterback prospect, a four-star recruit, Jaden Rashada. Chris, how surprising is this? Nothing really surprises me anymore at this point in college football and recruiting. But uh, nobody expected, even just like, three to four weeks ago that Jaden Rashada would end up at ASU, right? He signed a national letter of intent with Florida. He had reportedly a multi-million dollar agreement um, with uh, people who are supporters of that program. Um, and that fell through. And over just a period of a couple of weeks, it went from nobody's talking about Jaden Rashada and possibly any other school. And, oh, look, hey, Jaden Rashad's dad, Harlan, played at ASU 30 years ago, and he grew up a Sun Devil fan, and he likes Kane Dillingham, who was recruiting him previously at multiple schools, Oregon and Florida State, and now ASU is a, a front runner to, to get his services. Um, some people may remember, we wrote about Jaden Rashada like more than two and a half years ago. Like Mason Kern who used to host our podcast, as a matter of fact, um, did a feature story on ASU being one of the first three or four schools to offer a scholarship to Jaden Rashada. It happened in June of 2020, which seems like forever ago, right? Um, and toward the outset of the pandemic and, and, and the, the, all the passion that Rashada had of wanting to be a Sun Devil and all this stuff, uh, the similarities between uh, Jaden Rashad at number five and JD, the JD five, Jaden Daniels was widely talked about at the time. And, um, then, you know, not less, not more than a year later, ASU got into the NCAA investigation mess and the recruiting just fell off a cliff. And that included basically no chance for ASU to be able to get Rashada until sort of fate intervened if you will. And uh, now he's going to be a quarterback at ASU and he is a potential impact player, right? The, he's the highest rated first year signee of that any coach at ASU has landed this century, really in the history of 24 seven sports. And there's big names that the previous coaches landed Merlin Robertson, 
Uh, DJ Foster, when Todd Graham was hired, the, the first sort of quote unquote in-state hero or hometown hero, I should say. And then Omar Bolden, then Dennis Erickson. All those players went on to have great careers, played a lot from the outset as Sun Devils. And so now we're going to see if Rashada has the potential to make that kind of an impact at ASU. I think that uh, at quarterback, it's, it's, it's especially tough. Um, but I have heard that he's expected to be on campus before the start of spring ball to enroll for ASU session B. So we should get a look at him then. And now after what was reported to happen at Florida with that multi-million dollar NIL deal that ended up falling through, there were a lot of misconceptions about how, how and why Rashada really ended up at ASU. So what can you say about that part as it relates to the Sun Devils? So people who are members at Sun Devil Source and they're on the Devil Sanctuary and they're seeing all the things that I'm posting and talking about, they're familiar with the fact that I said that no ASU players got deals with, this, with the, the, the Sun Angel Collective, which is uh, operating to try to service some of these athletes in, in a financially beneficial way. Um, and and, and Jaden Rashada also didn't get any kind of a deal in that, in that way. So he's not getting a bunch of money to go to ASU. That people are across the country, no doubt, are like, oh, okay, well, he had this deal at Florida in place. So that must mean he must be getting a bunch of money to go to ASU. Absolutely not the case. And, and, and also, I think maybe even more importantly than just that specific fact is that uh, Kenny Dillingham's perspective on NIL, he doesn't, he's not like, deciding who gets what money that's not really even allowed but he's he's able to have a perspective about nil and the the sun angel collective or any any asu boosters are able to understand his perspective um which is really that you risk cultural problems when you start giving out a bunch of money to players who might not even start and be on your bench while other guys who are starting and playing a lot are making more money. Thinking about, think about it in terms of anyone's work environment, right? What if you knew that you're like, you know, senior people in your company and somebody in the back, in the back of the office making uh, Xerox copies and sending out faxes and going and grabbing coffee for everyone is making more money than you. Like that causes some, some problems, right? If, if, if everybody knows that. And these are teenagers and, 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 and guys who are in the early 20s. And so obviously that, that's a potential problem. So that may be one of the biggest elements of this, which is to say that it was kind of more of a Dillingham saying to Rashada, do you want to be here? Do you think this is the best place for you to be successful and be part of a culture that's going to be healthy and productive and give you the best opportunity to further your, your, your overall career? Um, and if that answer is yes, then great, come be with us. If that answer is, well, what are you going to do for me or what can I get out of this in a financial standpoint, then it, it wasn't going to happen at ASU. So that, I think, is a very essential thing, especially in today's day and age with NIL and, and all of these things that have the ability to sabotage programs. You look at Texas A&M, they widely reported to spend millions of dollars on their last freshman class. And then they ended up having massive problems with their culture and everything kind of fell apart. And they're now they're kind of trying to put, put it all back together. Let's talk about the rest of the Sun Devils signing class. And I think it's only right to start with the quarterbacks who are the true leaders on and off the field. So on top of Rashada, Dillingham also added former Notre Dame quarterback Drew Pine and also 
though former BYU quarterback Jacob Conover. So how does that position look heading into spring ball? Well, it looks very deep and talented, right? Because you have uh, Trenton Bourget was ASU starter in the second half of the season, and, and um, he had some very good games in difficult situations. They 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 changed the offense. Uh, they're trying they going through all these you know coaching sort of questions and issues that they had, and then uh, he also was playing on an injured foot that I think a lot of people didn't really know that much about. That he ended up having surgery on second surgery. In fact. After the season, uh, his mobility was impacted. He didn't even play in one game. So he should be much better now after having the second surgery and having uh, eight months to recover from that before camp starts. And then uh, Drew Pine, he was eight and two as a starter at Notre Dame last season. Like that's really impressive, right? Um, uh, I think he fits stylistically kind of what Dillingham's looking for. And Jacob Conover, even though he hadn't played at BYU, this was a three-time state champion at Chandler High School. So you're, you're going to have all of those guys plus, plus Rashada. And remember, like, not saying like, how he will do compared to like a Jaden Daniels, but he's like in the same general ballpark as a recruit ranking-wise as Jaden Daniels, who ended up starting for ASU as a freshman, and he was like one of the most impressive freshmen in the country. So the quarterback position, especially with – everybody's starting on an equal playing foot in a way because um, you have a new coaching staff, a new offense. Everybody has to learn a new, new offensive coordinator and Bo Baldwin and quarterbacks coach. Um, it's almost like this hard reset button, but where you get all a bunch of players, at least four players, I would say, and not to mention uh, uh, Bennett Meredith who redshirted last season coming back as well, um, who was a very impressive high school quarterback in Alabama prior to that all these guys are basically just going to be turned loose and in a competitive environment. And the most important thing, Sammy, is uh, you have to give yourself options and redundancy. You don't know. Some guys could be a bust. Some guys could get injured. You have other problems off the field. You need to be able to have a bunch of talent and then let those guys go and sort it out on the field. Uh, I have to give Dillingham an A-plus grade for what they were able to do at the quarterback position, which, as you said, that's the most important position on the field. And you're exactly right. It's definitely going to be interesting to see who ends up winning that quarterback battle. It's really up in the air right now, which I think should excite Sun Devil fans. But let's head to the running backs, which will be another crucial position, which is run by the Sean Iguana, who was the interim head coach last season. So, Chris, what are you seeing from this running back room right now? It's a big, big task, right? When you got to replace Xavion uh, Valade, he was the workhorse back in the country last year in terms of number of carries. Very productive player, just had a really good performance in, in one of these um, uh, showcase events uh, yesterday. And look, um, they added Cameron Scadabo, who's was like a nearly 1,400 yard rusher in FCS last year at Sacramento State. Uh, one of the top at, in the country at that level, very physical, durable, breaks tackles. Uh, I don't know that he has that sort of extra athletic thing that makes you go, wow, that some guys, some of the elite guys kind of have like a Rashad White had at ASU or others before him, but very serviceable and eminently reliable in terms of what you're going to ask him to do. And then they also added to Carlos Brooks from Cal, 
um, who's he's sort of like uh, in the Daniel and Gata mold, maybe a little bit bigger version of him, but he's a little, you know, make you miss, uh, you know, a little little ooze and ahs type of a guy, but not necessarily the 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 player who's going to get 15, 20 carries a game. Um, but the guy that people shouldn't forget about and has the ability to totally sneak up on on everyone and even become the starter is Tevin White. Um, he was ASU's third running back last season as a true freshman, big bodied kid. He's like a, like a smooth glider slider type of a guy like a Rashad white. Um, and Sean Aguano actually told us yesterday, uh, that basically he has as good a chance as anyone. And, and almost even that it's like, could be his opportunity to, to, to lose, if you will, just given the 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 potential like the upside of a guy i think he definitely has the high ceiling of any of these running backs it's a matter of how much how quickly he can eat into that ceiling to be able to uh to go out there and shine are they going to be as good as they were last year i think it i think that their potential is there for that to happen but um there's certainly a lot that they have to prove yeah, those running backs will definitely have some big shoes to fill, like you mentioned, Xavion Valade and Rashad White. But now the Sun Devils have their own Rashad, Rashad Samples, who is leading the wide receivers room. And he may be young, but this coach is ready and he is excited to coach a very talented wide receiver room. Chris, who's standing out to you right now? Yeah, when you say he's ready, um, it just reminds me, he was the youngest position coach in the NFL last year, 27 or whatever years old, 28 now. Um, he's also walking into one of the two best situations probably of anywhere on the roster in terms of what he inherited because you have Elijah Badger and Geo Sanders coming back. That's a really great one-two punch. They both had more than 40 catches. Uh, Badger was in the top three or four in the, in, in the Pac-12 last year in some of these major categories, catches, yards, and, and whatnot. I think he has a chance to be elite. And then what they did was they went out and they added some guys who were experienced D1 players. Um, Xavier Gulleroy from Idaho State, uh, Kenny Dillingham called him a jump out the gym guy, elbow above the rim on the basketball court, 6'3", around 200 pounds. He's got a really good chance to become the team's third starter. I would say he played for Charlie Ragel last year. So they have a, a, a intimate familiarity with kind of what he brings to the fold. So that, that was, I think, one of their biggest offensive uh, additions. And then Mel Quan Stovall is a veteran guy. He was a starter at Nevada and Colorado State, slot receiver. Um, he's somebody that you, that you can uh, put in the competition with Joe Sanders, maybe right behind him, and he can become – like, you know, fourth guy or something. And Jake Smith was Gatorade player of the year, like five years ago, four years ago, whatever it was at, at Notre Dame prep before he went to Texas, he was a stud freshman at Texas, but then he had injuries and other things sort of derailed him for a period of a few years at USC. Then, you know, took, took a year off, wasn't with the team last year, but uh, Dillingham said that he's healthy now and he's reinvigorated and he looks really good. And so you, you, you just have this opportunity with those guys and then others that you have coming back between Andre Johnson, who started and, and played a lot and Zeke Freeman and, and Chad Johnson Jr. I think to have a, as good and deep of any sort of five, six man, top line starting starters and rotation of, of anywhere on the offense. A very, very promising group.
Now the Sun Devils, they lost some strong players on the O-line, so they had to add eight offensive linemen to their roster. So, Chris, how do you think this group is shaping up? Well, look, the O-line is just it's, – it's overlooked quite, quite often, right? It's not the sexy position. But when you lose Ladarius Henderson to, to Michigan and you lose Ben Scott to Nebraska and you lose – two other starters because they've exhausted their eligibility or guys who, who, who have started uh, that puts you in a bad situation and you need to go out and get a bunch of guys who can play right away. And they did that. Um, they added four potential division one starters. Um, they, I, I think that you know, this might be the most impressive thing that they did other than quarterback in the transfer portal. And that's saying a lot, because they added more transfers than anybody else in the country, right? But Aaron Frost from Nevada, he can play right tackle or left tackle. Uh, he thought about going to the NFL, uh, didn't, returned, then he tore his ACL, missed the season. Now he's got a lot that he probably wants to prove. But but if he's healthy, I think he has a chance to be a you know in the in the top third of the Pac-12 maybe as a starter. Like he was a legitimate third round third day. NFL draft pick kind of a guy. And then uh, Lee Fountain now, he's um, like a three-year starter as a center at UNLV. He's a very good player. Um, and I, I, I don't think that he's really going to be much of a drop-off, if at all, from what Ben Scott gave the team last year at that position. And then Ben Coleman is going to slide in at left guard where Henderson was. And is he going to be as good? Probably not. But the guy was a two-year starter at Cal and one of their better offensive linemen. Like, why isn't he going to be fine? And then we haven't even mentioned Bram Walden, who two years ago was a number one prospect in Arizona's, in the state of Arizona in his recruiting class. And he hasn't played. He's had a couple injury things. But he's now another guy who could start or at least compete to be a top backup because ASU returns, Isaiah Glass, they're starting left tackle. And Emmett Boley, who was a part-time starting right right tackle, and Joey Ramos, who was going to be a starter at either right tackle or right guard before he suffered a season-ending injury um, at the very beginning of the year of, of the season. So um, th- there's still a lot to sort of determine about how they actually look, and spring ball is going to yield a lot of information, but it's it's – a lot better than I had expected it would be just just really about six weeks ago. And like I said before, ASU did, of course, add 43 players to their team, but none of those were tight ends. So, Chris, what do you think about their decision not to add any more tight ends to the group? Well, I think it makes perfect sense. Um, you look at what they have returning, Jason Mons. <laughs> he said he, this was the right time for him to come to ASU. I don't think he meant it necessarily in this way. But who else walks into a new tight end position with uh, maybe the best one-two combination in the in the conference, in any conference, right? Between Messiah Swinson, who actually started over Jalen Conyers, but then Jalen Conyers had like 10 catches in a game and three touchdowns in a game in the second half of the season last year. And, you know, that... That duo is really quite good, and especially when you then put them into a system like 
Dillingham's um, is, which used three tight ends successfully at Oregon last year. Um, and look, they have three other guys at the position who are returning. And that's why you look at, from a number standpoint, you go, okay, well, they also have Bryce Pierre. He's an older veteran guy. He's more on the receiving end of the spectrum than the inline end. And then they have Ryan Morgan, who's played as a, was a backup to Case Hatch. And he's like an H-back, fullback, sort of a guy who can service a role. And then Jacob Newell, who intrigued me last year at the beginning of uh, camp in August before he suffered a season-ending foot injury. I think he fits what they're looking for. So they, you know, could can you always use an extra in-line body who is a, a bruising physical type of a guy who helps you in sub-package situations? Yes. Do they need to necessarily go out and do that? I think probably not. And they, they'll have the ability to be creative, you know, getting another tackle in, on the field in some of those situations. Now let's head over to the defensive side of the ball, and we will start with the defensive linemen who are led by Vince Amy, who added nine to this position group. So how well do you think they did with not only adding freshmen, but also transfers from Michigan State, Oklahoma, Texas, and many others? Well, they did really great at the edge, right? Their defensive ends. This is a 4-3 defense. They have lighter defensive ends. Uh, they want to really be aggressive and try to impact the quarterback. Uh, Brian Ward, the coordinator, said something I thought yesterday that was very put everything into a great perspective, which is we want to stop the run on the way to the quarterback. Right. And um, they needed guys who were going to be able to be dynamic pass rushers because they, they, they didn't really have enough of them. Um, and and especially when you look at kind of what they lost. So they went out, they got Clayton Smith from Oklahoma. Um, he was a very high four-star recruit coming out of high school. Uh, he's got a chance to play a pretty big role right away. Um, and then, and then, uh, they added Prince Dorba from Texas. Again, he was a, a well-regarded four-star coming out of, coming out of high school. Um, and so they, they, they have, you know, pieces now that you can then take, uh, with the guys that they retained on their roster, which Michael Matus is a returning starter. He'll be a defensive end. They have Garrett Stansberry, who's a returner. I mean, he's going to be good there. And then ASU also got a junior college player who's one of the tops in the country in Elijah O'Neal. I think he was like the second or third uh, uh, ranked uh, pass rusher in all junior college football. So that, that group looks, I would say, quite impressive now uh, when, when, when you think about it. Um, Still, look, not a lot of proven production, but they have athletes and redundancy. And Washington State, they, 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 they made guys look even better than they're sort of what we're expected to. Now, defensive tackle, I think that's where they have a little bit of, uh, of concerns. They, they got B.J. Green back. He has the ability to move between end and tackle. They're not exactly sure how they're going to use him yet. Anthony Cooper started to end last year for ASU. He's going to slide inside. He's going to play some three-tech. That's going to help them uh, overcome the loss of Omar Norman Lott. I think that's kind of an uh, important thing. Um, and Blazin Lona Wong, who uh, played end last year at like 265, 270 pounds after being 240 pounds in high school as a senior, 
he's now eating his way up to 290 to 95 pounds and he's going to also slide inside. So, uh, they, they, they have several players there. Um, and then nose tackle, they have, um, returning not as much. I think that's where kind of maybe they have some questions, uh, because really it's just, it's, it's Brandon McElroy, Jaleel Rivera, Harvey, and Robbie Harrison. I think Robbie Harrison might have the most upside of those guys. He's strong as an ox and needs to work on kind of moving his feet a little bit better through engagement, but ASU lost Nesta Silvera lost, uh, you know, like two other guys who TJ Pesafea, who were very solid pac 12 players, um, you know, you know, at their defensive tackle positions, I already mentioned Omar Norman lot. So that's an issue. They went out and they, um, they added Deshaun Mallory from Michigan state as a nose. Now he isn't in school yet. There's still some, some things that they're trying to work through to be able to get him completely locked into the fold. So we'll see kind of if that happens. I, I think that they would probably be well-serviced to go out and try to add another defensive tackle, maybe after spring football, especially somebody who could play the nose position. Now the linebackers will also be critical for the team's success this season, and their four recruits are great additions, especially Kavion Thunderbird. So what have you seen from him as well as the other three additions? Yeah, um, they called Thunderbird an elite athlete and an impact addition. Um, he was a top 20 recruit in Chicago. Uh, very good athlete. He's got some twitchiness for a linebacker, which is something that you kind of want to see. But he carries weight already decently well, 215 or so pounds. Um, so he has a chance to play, and especially because they just don't return a lot, right? Um, they really only have two to three returning Linebackers, Will Schaefer, Caleb McCullough, James Junkum bounce between defensive end and linebacker. Still going to figure out where exactly he's going to line up. They're going to take a look at him. Um, the key addition that they got who can play right away is uh, uh, Travion uh, Brown. Trey Brown um, comes from Washington State where uh, both Brian Ward and linebackers coach A.J. Cooper were at last year. I'm very confident that they feel like he can plug a starting spot but then they're going to probably need Schaefer, uh, Thunderbird, maybe um, McCullough uh, to come in and play. They also got Crew Jackson. I think he positionally, not really sure exactly where he's going to play. I mean, he looks like more of a 4-3 outside linebacker than a 4-2-5 inside linebacker. But um, we're going to take a look at him. Brian Ward admitted that they're thin on numbers here. They don't have depth. They don't have a lot of proven stuff at the top end. But he said, which I think is really important, that uh, if you're if you're smart and you're conscientious and you're hardworking, you can be very successful in this scheme, even if you weren't highly regarded, even if you didn't have a whole bunch of experience. That's probably going to be put to the test. But I do think that it's in their best interest to go out and try to get somebody else after the spring. And he alluded to the possibility of that happening. Now let's head to the defensive backs who are led by Brian Carrington, who once again had to add a lot to this position group, eight defensive backs, in fact. So which players are standing out to you right now, Chris? Well, this is where they um, have the most returning talent. I think and they're in a very good position with what they get back because Real Torrance was a starter and should be one of the better corners in the Pac-12. Uh, Ed Woods is a starting corner who should be very solid. They have um, Jordan Clark, who's been able to play nickel and he's been able to play safety. 
so you know he 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 fits very much within uh you know the the, the type of scheme that they're going to be able to utilize chris edmonds is a really important player returning as a safety um and then there's like several others that they get coming back uh mason williams and willie hearts um and others uh, rj reagan i think hasn't played that much isaiah johnson if everything comes together for him he could be the best of any of these guys that i mentioned he has as high of a ceiling as anyone as a corner could even end up being a starter or their number three corner but then they went out and they supplemented in a pretty impressive way i would say especially at safety where they got Xavion alford who uh was a high you know pretty good four-star prospect coming out of texas signed with usc uh he had two interceptions against asu um i mean he easily could end up the second starter there and then they also got uh shamari simmons who was a all-conference player at bowling green it's a lower d1 level but he was still uh quite good you know uh you know there and so what don't count him out as as, as a candidate to come up and, and play a lot right away so i'm more impressed and i feel like you can have you can say with confidence that ASU secondary is should be good to very good and that's extremely important because they this defense is aggressive a lot of blitzing a lot of man conflict situations you have to be able to cover in space with the defensive backs that you have and it seems like they're going to be able to do that and we can't forget about the three specialists a punter kicker and long snapper so how will you think that these three will contribute to the roster well, there's a that's a big ask, right? Because uh, that's where ASU lost maybe as much talent as as anyone. They had all conference caliber uh, kicker and punter and long snapper, um, but I think Charlie Ragel, their special teams coach, he has a lot of personal familiarity with the guys that they were able to go out and bring into the program, um, and that you know that. That matters, right? I think um, they added a kicker, Dario Longhetto, who's uh, been very good in his college career from Cal, where he played under Riggle, from inside 40 yards. Outside of 40, last year was a struggle. The year prior, he did a little bit better. Um, Riggle said the leg is, his leg is, is, is plenty strong. You know, it's just a matter of like a little small tidying up of some things and have the ability to go out there and be quite successful playing at a place like ASU, which is a lot easier than Cal. You don't have that wet, damp, heavy air. You don't have the winds, right? Just a very favorable place to go out and kick. And then um, their ASU's punter last year might have been one of their best players. And so they went out, they had to get somebody in the transfer portal. They got Josh Carlson. Um, the net, his net punting isn't that impressive when you look at it. Um, and, but what my understanding is kind of like he does very good at directional punting, getting the ball where they want it to go, being able to pin inside the 20 with some measure of consistency. And those things are kind of, you know, those are really important, right? And then Slater Zellers, he's a long snapper. The, the thing you want if you're uh, a fan or a coach is to never even need to know the long snapper's name. Right. So nobody should ever say Slater Zellers um, other than me on this podcast if, if, if Slater Zellers is doing his job properly. But 
Ragel did say that he thinks that that uh, Zellers has a, a chance to be to play at the next level, which is saying a lot because there's a lot of really good snappers. Um, but he's a local guy. He was a multi-year starter at Cal, and that seems like that's in a pretty stable position. Well, thank you, Chris, for walking us through all of those position groups, highlighting the newcomers as well as the critical returners. But let's go back to the big picture. 43 signings. That is a lot of new faces and some fresh talent. Chris, just how unprecedented is this? Well, look, I've covered ASU recruiting for 20 years or more now, and um, I never would have believed even like a year or two ago that ASU would add 40 new players in a span of 60 days. That's what Kenny Dillingham and his staff had to do. That That's a mind-bending um new paradigm of college football that you're dealing with. And it was specifically harder for ASU and new coaches are going to face this more than, than, than others, but specifically at ASU because they had the NCAA investigation that crippled recruiting over about an 18 month period prior to Dillingham taking over and the roster had been seriously hemorrhaging talent. They have six or seven walk-ons out of their returning 47 scholarship players that They've never returned that few players in the history of ASU football and scholarship for sure. And they're going to have a roster that's entirely half, half built, you know, literally half, half rebuilt. Like they're probably going to still lose more uh, after spring ball. Right now they have something around 90, 91 committed scholarship players. You can only have 85 on your, on your, uh, on your roster at any given point in time. So, you know, that they're going to lose like another five or six guys, probably maybe even more if they decide that they're going to add more, um, that's going to have to sort itself out um, and we'll be following it. But I just can't emphasize enough that even though a lot of these players won't end up being, uh, you know, starters or, or heavy impact players, they had a, a, a almost impossible task of going out and filling a roster um, without putting a bunch of dead weight on it. And I think that they were smart in the way they did it because they took a bunch of locals who wanted to return home. That's good from a, a cultural standpoint. That's good from a PR standpoint. It's guys who probably aren't going to transfer again because they want to be here. And uh, they also, of course, as we said throughout the podcast, they got impact players at quarterback, at wide receiver, along their offensive line, at, at running back, across their, their defense. And they're going to need like 15 to 20 of these guys to play a big role, if not start right away. And I think they have the ability to do that. So um, overall, you have to say that this was an excellent job by Ken Gillingham and his new staff. It really was, Chris. And there is still a lot of work to be done at Sun Devil Source, headlined by your incredible insight into how these players are developing each and every day. But what should fans expect from now until spring football, which starts in about a month and a half? So look, normally we are putting out a bunch of evaluations that go along with a lot of the reporting on, on all these developments. You can't exactly watch a bunch of film when somebody new is committing like every single day. <laughs> so, uh, and all the other responsibilities that we have with building a, a football staff and covering basketball, right? So the cup was overflowing with things that we had to do. Well, now they're, they're done building the roster and we're moving on. So it's time to go in depth on exactly who all these guys are, a, a 
full inspection under the hood of all the, the pieces and, and, and all the moving parts. And people can look forward to those things rolling out, evaluations, grades, position overviews, and way more sort of taking what we've talked about here and expanding on that times like 100, right? Like on steroids. So by the time spring football rolls around here, people should have an extremely well-developed perspective on all the things that we talked about in as much detail as they want. Well, thank you, Chris. But let's shift gears to the diamond. And no, I'm not talking about Tiffany's. I'm talking about ASU baseball. Their season opener is just a few weeks away on February 17th when they take on San Diego State. We've already attended Media Day last week. And let me tell you, there are so many new faces on this roster, just kind of like ASU football. And for this, we bring in our Sun Devil source reporter, Cole Bradley. Cole, how are you doing? I'm good, Sammy. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm happy to have you here. And a lot of fans know that ASU did not have a strong pitching last season, but as head coach Willie Bloomquist enters his second season at the helm of the program, the pitching staff looks very different. Can you give us some details on all of those changes? Yeah, Sammy, there's a lot of optimism uh, that we sort of got from Sam Peraza, who's the pitching coach, and Willie Bloomquist last week regarding this new pitching staff, which includes 15 total newcomers. Um, many of them are Division I transfers who have previous experience at uh, very high caliber um, schools, um, starting with Ross Dunn, who's from Florida State, who's targeted for a Friday night role. Uh, he pitched, he was their midweek starter last year. Um, he's been up in the mid-90s with his fastball. He's had a very quick ascent through the collegiate ranks. He was on the collegiate national team. For Team USA this past year, he's he's been looking really good. Apparently, um, I guess he had a minor procedure, is what Sam Peraza called it in the fall. I apparently it is non-arm related, so they hope that he is ready for opening day. But it looks like he's probably going to get the nod to be their proverbial ace, if you will. Christian Curtis, who we um, actually did some reporting on last summer, uh, he looks to be targeted for a Saturday role which is pretty significant considering he is actually just coming off of um, right elbow surgery uh, for the second time in his career. Um, he's had a lot of issues with it in the past, but he's shown a lot of potential at Texas A&M, which is where he's coming from. Uh, Mid-90s fastball guy, good slider, um, really good changeup, according to Ryan Campos, who said he's uh, that is the nastiest pitch uh, or single pitch on the team that he's actually caught. Um, and I guess he's also adding a cutter, which he said is um, kind of a new devastating weapon in his arsenal. So should be intriguing to watch how he performs. It's going to be imperative to keep both of those guys healthy um, for, or, you know, as healthy as possible for as much of the season as they can, because it's going to be important, especially when they get into, um, you know, deep into the season into April um, and, you know, sort of early May when arms tend to kind of sputter out and, um, you know, get fatigued. So it's really important to make sure those guys have the longevity um, to stay healthy over the course of the season, because that was a big issue with the staff last year. Um, outside of that, it sounds like they're going to do, uh, they're still looking for their Sunday starter and also their midweek starter. Um, ASU is actually losing Tyler Meyer, who was their primary midweek starter last year for the entire season. He's, he got so shoulder surgery a couple weeks ago. Um, which is a huge loss. He had the third most innings on the team last year. He had a couple, he had several seven inning starts. Um, 
he was very reliable, especially at the beginning of the season. Um, things started to kind of go um, bad for him towards the end, but definitely a reliable returning arm that they're going to lose um, this season, which is tough. But when they have uh, Owen Stevenson, who's a San Francisco transfer, who's been much improved, it sounds like, um, when it comes to his his pitch mix and what he's been able to do with it in the fall, and who ate a lot of innings last year for San Francisco, he's a guy who could potentially compete for Sunday starts, maybe even a spot start for midweeks. Um, they also have Timmy Manning from Florida, who wasn't great last year and wasn't great the year before that, but has had um, some flashes of what he is capable of in the past in the SEC, um, which is obviously the highest level of college baseball. But he is potentially a guy who could be targeted for midweeks as well, maybe even a long relief role. Um, the biggest thing that is um, key to note about this new staff um, is the options that it has compared to last year. There's a lot more depth. Um, they can match up a little better lefty-righty than they could last year. There was only two left-handers on the staff last year. I think there's at least five this year. Um, so that's that bodes a lot better for you, <clears throat> especially when you're trying to piece things together over the course of the season. And Peraza and Bloomquist both had a lot of um, good things to say about that at this point in the preseason. So it seems like they're pretty excited about it. And honestly, um, given what some of these guys have done in the past, I think if all goes right and this team is stays healthy – and these guys pitch to the level that they can. I think this is a top three staff in the Pac-12. The team will also look very different in the field after losing a number of key starters, but they also have several key players returning. So, Cole, how are those positions groups looking right now? Yeah, well, ASU is losing six primary starters from last year, including most of its infield. Connor Davis is gone. Sean McClain's gone. Hunter Haas transferred. Cam McGee transferred. Um, so there's a lot of holes there. There was a lot of holes coming in. Right. And the biggest thing that the second biggest thing that Bloomquist said needed to be addressed in the transfer portal was particularly bolstering the infield. So he went in and he grabbed eight new infielders. Um, that's both freshmen and transfers. The headliner of that group would have to be Luke Kieschel, who is also a San Francisco transfer. He's a former WCC freshman of the year. Really good contact hitter. He's probably one of the better, more underrated hitters in all of college baseball. Um, he's draft. He's a bona fide, you know, first through third round draft prospect this year. Um, he's going to get a lot of looks. But the biggest thing for him is figuring out where he's going to play on the middle infield. He's primarily been a shortstop in his career, but he's been suspect defensively for most of that time. Um, what is without question his strong suit is is what he can do at the plate. Um, it sounds like he's been getting a lot of reps at second base, which is pretty noteworthy. Um, but he's a guy who can kind of move all over. Uh, they have a pair of freshmen who are, I guess, in line for starting roles on the left side of the infield, which was quite the shock kind of coming in, um, learning about that last week. Um, Luke Hill at shortstop apparently looks really good. Um, he talked a lot about uh, how it's kind of a legacy replacing Sean McClain at shortstop. There's a legacy there is what he said. Um, Willie Bloomquist used to play on the middle infield, played a little shortstop in the 90s with ASU as well. So that's kind of something that he seems to understand the significance of. Um, New Contratus, who is a Hawaii product. Um, it sounds like he's getting a lot of reps at third base, 
Uh, I've heard a lot more about how he's impressed with the bat rather than what he's been able to do in the field, but it sounds like he's been pretty solid out there. What's also very significant is last year uh, after Ethan Long played mostly third base um, and didn't really have the greatest transition there. Sounds like Long is actually transitioning to first base um, and he's competing for time with Jacob Tobias, who actually lost a lot of weight in the offseason so he could play a little bit more. He could be a little bit more mobile um, defensively in a corner infield spot because he mainly DH'd last year as a freshman. So that's definitely going to be something to follow as well. And that's kind of what the infield looks like. Now, the outfield, which is losing Kai Murphy and Joe Lampy, who are arguably two of some of the better hitters, particularly Lampy, um, in last year's lineup, um, that's going to be a, mu a much larger challenge to probably um, place, considering how much um, Lampy brought to the game in all phases. Uh, they have Nick McLean, who is Sean McLean's brother, uh, younger brother, who's transferring in from UCLA, who I guess is sort of the leader in the cl clubhouse is what a number of people said um, to win over that center field job. Um, it's unclear as to um, who exactly is his competition in that spot, but it sounds like Isaiah Jackson, who was heavily touted or highly touted, excuse me, um, in the fall and then last week as well as one of the most impressive newcomers on this roster, um, you know, six, three, uh, you know, really good frame that he can build out over the course of his career. He was actually drafted um, by the uh, Houston Astros in the 18th round out of high school this past year um, has the makings of a, a of a really um, high upside pro prospect in the next year or two. Um, really good athlete has a lot of range um, and can swing it from the left side of the plate. So he's a guy who who is also one to watch for in center field, but if he doesn't play center, it sounds like he's going to play right. Um, so it sounds like they have a little, they have a couple options out there as well. Kean Vu, who's a freshman and Wyatt Crenshaw, who's a transfer are names that Bloomquist also mentioned as potential guys who could start or, um, see significant playing time this season in the outfield. And then they have Will Rogers returning in left field who, um, defensively is a little bit of a liability and a work in progress. He's still figuring things out. Um, he's still figuring things out when it comes to playing the position. Um, but there's no denying what he can do at the plate. He was one of ASU's better hitters last season, particularly in the power department. Um, so that's a role he's looking to kind of reprise this year as, you know, sort of the anchor of the middle of the order potentially. So wherever he plays, they're going to have to keep his bat in the lineup, whether that's DH or, um, you know, a corner outfield spot. So that's sort of what it's looking like right now. The only solid position that's really set in stone, Sammy, is catcher. And it's because Ryan Campos did such a good job last year anchoring that spot, not only defensively, but at the plate. He, you know, obviously led this team in hitting last year, hitting 357. Um, he's, you know, easily one of the better returners and a guy who um, is going to anchor that catcher spot for them uh, for at least the next year or two. Well, thank you, Cole. And we will also have a lot more content coming out for ASU baseball before opening day in the next few weeks. So make sure to look out for all of that in order to get ready for this season, which many people expect to be a lot better than last year.
But for now, that is all the time we have for today's Sun Devil Source Report podcast. A big thank you to both Chris and Cole for your in-depth analysis. And if you haven't noticed already, there are so many new additions to both ASU football and ASU baseball's rosters. And I know it can feel overwhelming, but don't worry. Just take a deep breath, sit back, and relax because we got you covered. And we will continue to keep you updated on the latest on SunDevilSource.com. For Chris Cartman and Cole Bradley, I'm Sammy Miller. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.